Hello, I'm your host, Gillian Semler. You're listening to Let's Talk, brought to you by Citilets and Arla Property Mart Scotland. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show for the world of property letting, investment, legislation, personal stories and much more. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's Talk at citilets.co.uk. Joining me today are the Chief Executive of the Scottish Association of Landlords, John Blackwood, and Head of Policy and Campaigns for Property Mark, Timothy Douglas. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Now, today we're here to talk about the Cost of Living Tenant Protection Scotland Act 2022, and on October the 28th of last year, a rent freeze in social and private rented housing and a moratorium on evictions became effective. With the main aim of protecting tenants by stabilising their housing costs, now obviously things have moved on since then and um, there's now a freeze with a generalised, the freeze has become a generalised cap, it's 3% and the social rent sector exempt. So obviously eventful, eventful few months to say the least, but let's go back to when the emergency announcement was made. What were both of your immediate reactions? Shall I go first? Sure. Uh, I, I think certainly from my perspective, it was really shock more than anything. Uh, it was a surprise announcement. Uh, certainly there was no consultation with any of the industry bodies in the sector. I, I thought it was maybe just me to begin with. Nobody's talking to me. But then I was reassured in speaking to uh, Timothy and others that actually nobody had been consulted at all. I first found out about it in the morning because it was leaked to the press from the First Minister's office and the press picked up on it and our PI, PR people contacted us and said are you aware that this is in the press? Do you know? And I thought you're joking, That's, this can't be true or have they picked up something incorrectly? And of course it was true and further to that we had heard not only is there going to be a rent freeze there will be a ban on evictions uh, which wasn't in the press to begin with that morning. And of course the announcement came and the First Minister duly did declare there would be a rent freeze and a ban on evictions, which turned out to be not quite a rent freeze or a ban on, on evictions, but nonetheless that's what she announced. And it was that evening, uh, of course, we displayed our discontent with that and expressed that to the government and we had an emergency meeting with the, the Minister that evening. And we thought then all will be revealed. We'll know exactly what the detail is, because sometimes an announcement's made, but it's only just an announcement. Later on, the Scottish Government then explain, in reality, this is what this is going to mean and what it will look like. And, of course, that evening we thought, OK, we'll get the detail, and there was no detail. So the Minister wasn't able to explain to us how it was going to work or when it was going to come in, albeit that this was under the umbrella of emergency legislation. I think certainly the biggest thing from my point of view is that why was this so different when COVID legislation came in? Yeah, that was something I was going to ask you, yeah, the comparisons of, of how much you were consulted, obviously not at all this time. Yeah, but we were. So, and of course that was emergency legislation mm -hmm. literally overnight. And the day before, mm -hmm. the government was on the, the phone to us, all as organisations saying, this is, we're going to have to be doing something, we, we can't tell you exactly what we're going to do, because that's yet to be announced in Parliament, but we're seeking your views. What could this look like? Because actually, the Cabinet, the Scottish Government, had yet to decide exactly what it would look like. So that was no surprise when the announcement was made, uh, whereas this was. 
and they always said the reason why we didn't say anything to you was because I would go on the phone to every private landlord in Scotland and tell them to up the rent. I'm going, well, you obviously have great belief in <laughs> what powers I have of persuasion and how quickly people could actually act on that. So I thought that was a silly uh, response, but nevertheless, that, that's, that's where we were. And yeah, it was really shock on the day and, and we've been trying to go over that ever since. And Timothy, did you, did you share? You know, yeah, I'm well, certainly mm -hmm. surprised. I think um, the back end of the summer into September, we'd had the response from the Scottish Government on the, the draft rented strategy, the, the new deal for tenants. Uh, we'd attended a round table with mm -hmm. the Minister and other organisations and sort of gearing up for that work to continue and they'd, they'd done the analysis. So that was definitely on, on the radar from a you know uh, an industry perspective, so certainly surprised when um, you know the program for government included these measures. Potentially, was there some political you know games in terms of the Scottish government? It was a week before I think the UK government were, were due to make um, an announcement, so they certainly got in there early. But as John's alluded to, I mean the conversations we then had with Scottish government officials to try and pin them down. Um, I think they had very much been uh, sidelined by it as well. They were gearing up, as I say, for all that work on the rented strategy and then had to divert resources you know, into this, this legislation. So there was very little detail mm -hmm. um, at the time. So it was certainly a shock and surprise. And I think, you know, from our members' point of view, the agents were saying, well, you know, it's not only tenants um, who, who are exposed to the cost of living, you know, Landlords work with you know agents work with landlords as key housing um, providers. You know they have additional costs, and yeah. that, that was beginning to um, to come through. And I think overall, it was it's unfair to suggest. I think at the time that all agents and landlords were just you know increasing rents um, and not being considerate to the individual circumstances of their tenants and the financial situation that was happening in in the wider economy. So I think. There, we knew that the Scottish Government were, uh, I've, I've said, that they want to bring in national you know, rent control. That's been bubbling away in the background. But I think with this and then the detail that we've then begun to get, it would be temporary, as well as the moratorium on evictions, I personally felt, oh, is this deja vu? Here yeah. we go again with certainly some of the changes we had through the pandemic on the eviction side, which then became... Mandatory. So I think surprise shock, but then definitely heightened caution now yeah. in terms of the Scottish Government's programme going forward. Yeah, well, I mean, MSP Patrick Harvey, he believes the Act will kind of strike a balance or strike the right balance between keeping tenants in their homes and ensuring landlords can continue to offer properties. I mean, do you feel, though, a fair balance has been achieved for both tenant and landlord? No, I think it's fair to say no, we certainly don't. We believe the legislation that we have is disproportionate and we made that clear and no doubt we'll talk about the petition shortly, but mm -hmm. that is our claim in court. It is disproportionate legislation, it's unfair, it's unjust, it hasn't really been properly thought out. And we've got a situation now where tenants don't feel supported and certainly landlords and agents don't seem, seem to be being supported either. So nobody's happy with what mm -hmm. the government's come up with. So that even 
uh, made one section of society happy with it. Uh, but they are hell-bent to do this, and, and they are say, saying that, of course, this is the right thing, and this is about redressing the balance between landlords' rights and tenants' rights. And Timothy, do you, what, what are your thoughts on the balance, the right balance? You know, yeah, certainly, I think dis disproportionate is definitely a word we've used, and you know, lack of evidence um, for it, which I think has been a, a frustration. And even in the meeting we had with the industry, the minister last week, um, after the, his statement increasing the cap, was trying to push him on the evidence and where he was getting, you know, yeah. rental data figure from because um, it's sporadic at best. It's from a range of different sources. The Scottish government have got numerous different, you know, data sets. Um, in Westminster, the ministers are certainly quoting the ONS, and you know, which has, has got a slight increase in Scotland, but it's not as huge compared to, to England and everywhere mm -hmm. else in the UK that the minister was referring to. So yeah, definitely we've, we've pushed them hard you know, on that disproportionate nature of the legislation and you know, it, where's the evidence? Well, that, that's it, just you speaking about the actual, you know, what data it was based on, because the emergency legislation was introduced to prevent intensity rent rises rather than restrictions on new tenancies. So, as I've said, despite an apparent lack of data on what actually takes place rent-wise during tenancy, which we'll discuss more next, but in both your experiences, what's your sense of the prevalence of in-tenancy rent rises, you know, is it widespread? What would you say? No, we're not seeing that at all. And we did recent research through surveys with our members and they were coming back very clearly that actually, I think it was 37% said that uh, they were increasing rents. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and we have a scenario where there's been independent research done as well too, with, uh, it was Indigo Yard did it quite recently. And they went to tenants and said, what's your experiences of rent rising during your tenancy? And 59% of those respondents said there had been absolutely no increase in their mm -hmm. rent since they moved into their properties. So that tells us that it's not prevalent, it's not the norm. If you were to press me to the wall and say, do you think this is going to happen in the future? Mm -hmm. Oh yes, most certainly. Yeah. I don't think there'll be many landlords and certainly any agents out there that would be increasing rents come the, the 1st of April. Because mm -hmm. they'll naturally want to yeah, cover yeah. themselves. I think, mm -hmm. to be, you know, I certainly agree with, with what John said there um, about the initial widespread prevalence of it, not mm -hmm. seeing that. However, I think the unintended consequence is, and, and certainly the survey data we did with um, agents our members in November, December, leading up to the first call for evidence, you know, 83% of agents said landlords would be inclined to increase rents between tenancies, you know, as a result of the Act, yeah. you know, to cover, you know, impending and, and additional costs. So I think, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> there ultimately that's human nature. We know from conversations with agents, um, anecdotally, that that's beginning to happen and, and landlords are beginning to think that way. So yeah, totally yeah, looking so the, forward is a complete unintended consequence, definitely. It's almost like the government have actually woken up private landlords to ensure they now more forensically set their new tenancy rent at full market rates to ensure they're financially covered. That's what rent control does. Yeah. Whenever we have rent control mm -hmm. in the world, it does one thing and that's raises rents. Mm -hmm. Now, that's fine if it's in a controlled way, if it's mm -hmm. stabilised, you know, perhaps there is a room for rent stabilisation. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, let's be honest, nobody wants rents to go through the roof. No. 
and that's not good certainly for tenants and their affordability but it's not good for landlords or agents either because that means at some point that rent will become unaffordable for that tenant to pay the relationship with the tenant will break down and you will probably have to evict the tenant so that's not good news for anybody but we need to find a solution that suits everyone and I, and I think we can be big enough to sit around the table and have these discussions you know timothy was mentioning that round table we had, and that, that was in August, just before yes. the First Minister's statement on the, the 6th of September. Now, that meeting was called to discuss ideas about rent control. And then we didn't talk about and rent we control. Didn't talk about uh, we had a meeting about something else. And we all walked out there saying, sorry, did I pick this up incorrectly? We thought we were coming together yeah. to discuss ideas about rent control. So that wasn't even mooted. It wasn't even discussed. And then literally within a month, with the First Minister saying we've got a crisis and we need to impose rent control. Yeah, and, so, I, th and I think that's why we're certainly, if we weren't cautious before around their intentions, we're certainly exactly. cautious. cautious. That now. was their time to sit down with us and say, you know, this is the direction of travel, this is what we're thinking about, what do you mm -hmm. think? We're consulting the industry. And there was tenants representatives there too, you know, they had an opportunity mm -hmm. to have these open and frank conversations with us all and it just didn't happen. Mm -hmm. and, and I think just, yeah, and just on that, going back to my point about deja vu, there's no, no doubt about it, this um, Cost of Living Act is temp temporary, which I think also doesn't provide certainty for the sector, um, but it can be extended, you know, a further... Uh -huh two more sets of six months, as yeah. I understand it, which within that time, cynically or correctly, you know, the Scottish Government, I'm sure, will be creating rent control. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That's just a, yeah, that's, yeah, because there's long-term proposals. Well. They're bringing forward the housing bill, which right. uh, from a meeting the other day, mm. they made it clear that that has to be laid by October. That's the current plan. So there's a lot of work to mm -hmm. get to that stage. Uh, and of course, at the moment, we have no idea of what's actually going to be yeah. in that. So, but we know so there we is long-term proposals, don't we, for rent, rent caps? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and obviously, it was just talking about, you know, obviously, we already know about the next six months, and then, as you say, there can be a, a further six months. But because it was recently announced that from April, private rents will be capped at 3% and limited in uh, circumstances, but landlords experiencing certain increased costs can apply um, to increase private rents up to 6%. But you know, do we know how this will be assessed and approved for those well, that we, want to apply? Well, we have an idea, apply? and of course mm -hmm. we've yet to see case examples of this, uh, but basically it's prescribed costs, and it's only 50% of yeah. the increase. So it's not even though, you know, if you can say all oh, my costs have gone up, so therefore I can apply mm -hmm. for a 6% rent increase. It's not as simple as that. Yeah, so if somebody's mortgage payments have increased, obviously. It's the mortgage, the insurance costs. Up by 100 plus, yeah, building charges, interest, yeah. yeah, they can recover that fully through, through exactly. the so rent. So it's only 50% of the actual cost to the maximum of 6% of whatever the rent is. So for many, that's a pittance, that's just a few pounds. So many landlords will look at that and say, it's not even worth my while applying for that. Because landlords are telling us their costs have increased by 300, 400 pounds per property mm -hmm. because of the finance interest on the mortgages going up alone. So an increase of 20, 30, 40 pounds a month is really not gonna to touch that. So how successful that will be, I don't know. Uh, but you know, yeah. Timothy was alluding when we had that uh, meeting 
uh, where we're saying, right, what's the rationale behind these percentages? 3%. So a social landlord, who are arguably housing the most vulnerable people in Scotland, the poorest people, they're allowed to increase those tenants' rents by probably about 11%. Yeah. It's average just over 6%, but for some people that could be 11% increase, above inflation actually. And to a private landlord, they're saying in those private tenants, oh, your rent can only go up by a maximum of 3%. So we're saying, well, where did you get 3% from? Oh, we just thought it'd be a good idea. <laughs> that's literally, yeah. Timothy, that's right, that's isn't true. it? That's, so we, we get no answer to that. So it's mm -hmm. been figures plucked out the air. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I was going to mention that actually later on, but then um, the chief executive of Scottish Land and Estates, she very much commented, doesn't she, on this 3%, yeah, that's yeah. too little, too late, and it's yeah. just been plucked out of thin air. And also I think there's no, which we'll come on to later, and, and I think it's fueled all the organisations' motivations, have been very little profiling almost of the landlords in the market, the agents working with them, and, and the tenants' situation. So... You, you know, it's a catch-all yeah. policy, but actually will, you know, potentially benefit more tenants than others. It's not as targeted a thing as, as it should be. Yeah. So, well, we'll talk about that with the judicial yeah, review, but that's but certainly fueled, our, you know, our thinking as well. Well, that's right. I think that you've mentioned before, on, or just recently in the press, that it can be protecting, you know, some tenants who are actually financially comfortable within the private rented sector and they're, kind of, they're more protected than, than the, the more vulnerable. Yeah, the, the bottom the line is the sector. government, this legislation is disproportionate because it's not taken into consideration the wide variety of financial circumstances yeah. of both tenants and landlords. Because yeah, many landlords, I think, you know, there seems to be this impression that, you know, landlords are all wealthy, but actually majority of them have one or two properties and their own costs have gone up as well. And I think that's where we're trying to, certainly when we speak to legislators, policymakers, trying to shift that narrative, mm -hmm. you know, not just to the Scottish government, all governments across mm -hmm. the UK, that, you know, landlords, the private sector is a key housing provider. It's part of the solution. Therefore, you've got to, you know, nurture yes. it, look after it, <laughs> incentivise it, yeah. or otherwise, you know, it will be squeezed and the situation will become... Absolutely. Even worse, and that, no doubt that's why we had the housing emergency debate in Parliament, you know, this week. So, and from and one of our recent surveys mm -hmm. of landlords, you know, half of those respondents were saying they were retired. They're relying on that yeah. income, as you see, mm -hmm. they just have one or two properties. So they're not big financial organisations or uh, institutions. They're ordinary people like you and I who have to contend with increasing costs that are affecting mm -hmm. them in the same way as it's affecting their tenants. So there's no justification for uh, the legislation as a whole, but certainly it's not taken into consideration some of these individual circumstances that landlords could be finding themselves in. That's right. But also, as, as we mentioned before, as part of the new legislation, there was a moratorium on evictions and the Act introduced three new grounds uh, for possession over and above the existing discretionary grounds for eviction. So do you want to explain what these new grounds are? And then we'll go into them yeah, in more detail. I, I think overall that this came as a result of that meeting we had with the Minister after the announcement. So that evening meeting and basically hopefully as I say well, we're going to get more information from them as to what this is we're going to mean in reality uh, and we didn't get that but at that meeting we said listen you need to take into consideration 
these other circumstances. So what if a, if a landlord through financial difficulty has to sell it? Then if you genuinely want to get rid of them from the marketplace, you should be helping them to get out of the market. So we need to support these people because surely it's unjust for any government to deliberately put someone into debt, which is exactly what the legislation is doing. And likewise, if they need to move back into it because yeah. of financial yeah. circumstances, yeah. or if the tenants in excessive rent arrears, you know, mm -hmm. we've got tenants that could be well over a year in rent arrears for a whole variety of reasons, then surely that should be taken into consideration when it comes to any eviction action. So I'm pleased to say as a result of that, they did add in these three additional yeah. grounds there. So, but again, it's tinkering at the edge. It's not yeah. actually giving the support where it's needed. But that was only because we asked for it at that meeting, just in the spirit but, but, of the But even if a yeah. landlord is in financial difficulty, is the fact that there is still, I believe anyway, ambiguity over the definition of, finan of financial hardship. So... Well, exactly, and the tribunal, as any court would, would take into consideration the entire financial circumstances mm -hmm. of that landlord. Mm -hmm. So they're saying, well, what is your income? What can you afford? What can't you afford? And I know there was a recent case where the tribunal was even looking at, well, I see you bought a new car, so it can't be that hard up if you bought a new car. <laughs> and how can you afford the finance costs and that, etc., etc. So these landlords, their entire... Uh, financial situations going yeah. to be opened up there potentially uh, for the, the tribunal to investigate and see well are you genuinely in financial hardship not just as a result of the tenant not paying you as the case might be but what other resources do you have mm -hmm. to be able to to support this lettings business that you're operating and I think that highlights I suppose the staggered nature that the legislation John you know, it's referred to. Um, certainly when it was announced, I don't think that the bill, the legislation had been drafted. Um, and certainly even on the morning that we gave evidence to the <laughs> local government housing committee, we'd only seen it, I think, the, the legislation the, the night before. So yes, it remains to be seen how these things will be defined and, and, and played out. But you know, that's, that's been and it's emergency point. legislation that was first announced by the First Minister on the 6th of September and it was the end of October before yeah. we actually saw the legislation yeah. lead in Parliament. So it took them a wee while to, to actually get their act together and get emergency legislation out there. I mean, it's interesting actually also to look at, you know, to compare it to the Welsh government's approach because whilst the Scottish government introduced, yeah, the rent freeze or cap, as it is now, the Welsh government rejected it in the fear that landlords would leave the market well, mass. So I would yeah, caution the word re rejected it. Okay. Um, they have pushed back on Plaid, who they have an uh, agreement with in, in the uh, Welsh Parliament. They pushed back on Plaid, trying to you know speed up the process. And there was a motion that, for Plaid in order to do that. Certainly in Wales, so within the agreement that Welsh mm -hmm. Labour have with Plaid, um, they've committed to producing a white paper. Uh, the government working groups uh, started uh, this week or last week. Uh, my colleague from based in Wales is leading on that. So they've, they've started that process to look at fair rent. So they've, they've only committed to a white paper right. at this stage by summer 2024. So they're just setting out the programme, but there is certainly appetite within Pride and, and um, 
you know, the, the Welsh Parliament members to, to push that. But the, the sounds yeah. that are coming back from Welsh government officials is that they are certainly very cautious yeah. about pursuing it because, as you say, Julian, you know, with landlords, um, you know, leaving the market. But, you know, it isn't just a Scottish issue that proves, yeah. you know, the Welsh government are looking at it. In Northern Ireland, they passed their Private Tenancies Act. That was due to come in in December. They've delayed that um, until later this year. And even within that was built in that they must produce a report on rent control, affordable rents, which they released. That report wasn't favourable uh, towards that. And I think whilst we've got a Conservative government in Westminster, their fairer, you know, private rent sector white paper said no to rent control. However, it does come up in Parliament. And I'm sure if we've got a change of government in Westminster towards Labour, the calls for rent control would increase. So I think all eyes are on mm -hmm. Scotland. Wales haven't necessarily rejected it, but it's on their agenda. But I think they're more cautious. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Well. I mean, do you feel, given the legislation just now in Scotland, do you feel that there is a real threat just now for kind of landlord exodus out the market? It's not just a threat, Gillian, it's actually happening. So we, we know that our members are telling us that, so we have to listen to that. Landlords are saying they're actively selling now or when the tenants leave the property. Uh, and rather than put it back on the rental market, they're actually opting to sell it. That's what they're doing. They're taking that opportunity to get out of the sector. And we just need to ask tenants. You know, they are struggling mm -hmm. to find a home. Yeah, because where will these tenants go? Where will... Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the amount of property that's marketed now, you'll know it through city lets and other portals, is a fraction of what it used to be. Letting agents or letting agent members are saying, you know, actually, sometimes we don't even market a property because we've mm. got waiting lists of people. We've got landlords saying that they've got waiting lists. They don't, there's no problem in finding a tenant uh, at whatever rent, actually. Uh, so that tells us there's an issue there with supply. And that in itself drives up rent. So right. the people, you know, we always say, obviously my job is about supporting landlords and letting agents, but the people who are really going to suffer as a result of this are tenants. Because where are they going to live? Where are they going to go? And whenever we put that to government, we never get an answer back from that because do they really care? And that's a question that we're posing. And I think it's not, it, not a new issue. It was bubbling away. Certainly research we did with agents across the UK last year was looking at you know, the, a shrinking you know, PRS. We were certainly seeing, um, you know, the number of properties, you know, reduced. And certainly even when I was looking at putting some evidence together f for the session with the, the housing committee, you know, one of our large agents in Scotland deals with, you know, 3,000 properties. They showed me their figures on notices for arrears versus landlords wanting to sell. And you can see the trend over the last three or four years that Landlords wanting to sell is increasing, far higher than the notices on, on rent arrears. So I think it was already happening, and this has just, yeah. you know, sort of cemented the, the problem. I think, yeah, the, certainly the research we did with agents in Scotland leading up to the, the first call for evidence on the Act, yeah, 68% reported an increase in notices to sell. But I think, interestingly, you know, 80% of agents said landlords had no desire to increase their portfolio. So, in mm, that, that sense, further, it's yeah, the key yeah, word Lack of investment in the future for yeah. private landlords. And the temporary nature of it doesn't yeah. help that. 
because it's going to potentially be with us for a long time and then we know else what's coming down. And we're he hearing the same thing from our agent members and at the same time rent arrears are increasing so they're saying that we're, that's a bigger issue for us now as well too and with landlords exiting the sector that's harder for the agents to be able to continue to sustain their businesses. I know I mean obviously you were saying that that you've had clear evidence from members that they're struggling to cope with the, the tenant demand due to supply yeah. issues. But Sal, I mean, you've been warning the Scottish Government since, what, 2017 <laughs> um, about the concern for rented housing stock and certainly city lets. We see plenty of evidence of this. So, I mean, you've j just said you feel this Act will now add further pressure to stock levels and rent levels. So, you know, long-term-wise, how is it? How is it going to be for the tenants, well, do you think? But I think also it's not just this legislation. We no, also have the been... recent budget, and I just think the rating well, yes, 6%, well, the additional dwelling touch on that next. It's yes. just the classic case yes. of housing policy yeah. <laughs> interacting with economic policy. That's and true. I think the real concern from, from all of us and John and the organisations within the, the coalition around judicial review is ensuring that you know it's the private sector investment. in Scotland doesn't become uninvestable. You know, it's now the most expensive place if you're gonna put your money in the UK and it's got this you know, rent cap, rent closer yeah. to rent control. Um, yeah, because let's just go further into this with, with what was um, just recently announced in the budget. So obviously, ADS additional dwelling supplement has increased from 4% to 6% in Scotland if, you know, buying obviously an additional property. So landlords, I mean, compared to Northern Ireland and England, who are still paying 3%. So, so here, landlords or investors will be paying double so yeah, yeah. Let's Wales, let's talk about more. <laughs> so let's talk about more about yeah. This, but this this is going to really affect investment. And our members who still want to invest and still want to be landlords are saying, but we are opting to choose to invest in England. I read. So that's yeah. actively yeah. happening at the moment in the north of England, particularly. It's quite good yields, isn't it? Exactly. Mm -hmm. You don't have the problems with legislation like what you do here in Scotland. And of course, constantly, as you say, Gillian, we are saying that to government. We're saying, A, you're anti-landlord. That is without a question. But you're actually anti-investment in Scotland. And if you want to make a success of Scotland, you need to encourage investment. And that's from a big business, big mm -hmm. investors, mm -hmm. as well as individual landlords with one or two properties that want to continue to build a portfolio. So you're doing nothing to incentivise us or, or even support us without any incentives to stay in the marketplace. And the only thing I ever get, and as you say, I've been saying it for years, yeah. and a criticism I get from MSPs is say, you keep saying landlords are leaving, but our figures demonstrate that the PRS just continues to grow, regardless, over a long period of time. And to be fair, in the last 15, 20 years, of course, we have seen the, the size of the PRS uh, nearly quadruple, actually, certainly triple. Uh, in, in some parts of Scotland. Yes, that has happened. But at the same time, in the last few years, we've seen landlord registration figures decline, and we're hearing all of this from our members. Now, they can't all be making that up. We know that's true, and tenants can tell us, as I say, they're struggling to find a home, more so than ever before. And our letting agent members are yeah, saying exactly the same. I think we can see about the amount of inquiries per property, as you see. And, uh, you know, when you ask an agent, as we do through a survey, you know, what's one of your biggest issues? 
and they will see landlords exiting the sector yeah. and, and keep to try to get them to continue to invest and stay in the sector is nigh impossible. That's the reality. But when is this government going to wake up to that? And, also and the only conclusion that can come to Gillian is they're quite happy with that net result. They don't mind landlords leaving. Well, they don't understand it, John. I think, you know, that's another point. The, I think they look at things in isolation. You know, we've got housing minister over here charging ahead, rent caps, moratoriums, rent control, deputy first minister, the economy side of things, looking at additional dwelling subsidies, we're raising that. But... That doesn't take into consideration the other tax changes we've had, the tapering down through the mortgage interest yeah, relief, changes budget. to the wear and tear. Mm -hmm. We've had, you know, the capital gains in other sectors and not, um, you know, the property will change. And now, of course, and of course, they continue to tinker, tinker with property taxes and additional dwelling supplements. So yeah, they've been taxed in ways that other businesses aren't, aren't they, landlords? Well, we're not taxed as businesses, that's the bottom line. <laughs> yeah. For years we've been saying landlords should be regarded as businesses and yeah. taxed accordingly. And every other government department uh, believes that's the case because you are operating a business and you should be seen as such. Mm -hmm. Apart from, of course, HMRC that says, no, actually, this isn't a business. So, you know, we really need to rethink housing overall in Scotland. Who's, who should operate these houses that we're letting to people in the, the wider rented sector? What size of a social rented sector do we want for the future? I think we all agree there's not enough social housing to go around yes. and support people in Scotland. So how can we actually get to a stage where that's increased and tenants are properly supported but at the same time, we still have a PRS that provides a very valuable function. The government will still say the PRS is a very important part of the wider mix of housing in Scotland. But what they do seems to destroy it. Yeah. So uh, we're not really seeing the reality of that. And actions need to speak louder than those words. And what we're seeing at the moment is actually we don't want you. We want to get rid of you as fast as we can. And the more we're going to going to try and squeeze you, hopefully the quicker you will sell up and, and leave the sector. I mean, on the tax front, we've certainly continued to push, although it's uh, some taxes are competence of the Scottish Parliament, Scottish Government, some aren't, but we've certainly, I mean, the Office for Tax Simplification did a review into property taxes last summer, and they're obviously a sort of subsidiary of the Treasury, non-government sort of agency and we made all these points we did a virtual round table with our, our, our members so it is you know beginning to filter through but we're certainly continuing to bang that drum call for a full review i think all governments need to do a full review into all the taxes that are you know impacting you know landlords and property investment because as john says it, it's just stifling the investment and there's no long-term strategy going forward it just doesn't seem to be linked up with wider housing policies yeah. and agendas which is a, a a real frustration and i think you know you could look at germany where they've got um you know a bigger private sector probably you know nearly 50 percent of the population rent but there's other stipulations within that in terms of the tenants requirements for the property and they tend to rent long term but they tend to have more providers in the private rent sector being the provider of, of, of the stock so if that's what governments want 
you know, a smaller, more professional sector, then I think they need to have policies that, that help that. But I think the key yeah. difference... The tenancy regimes are different. Yes. You know, what you expect when you're a tenant renting a property is different than yeah. what it is here uh, when it comes to insurance, if nothing else, and repairing obligations. And the other issue is that the we've got a bigger percentage of tenants on lower incomes than they do in Germany. I think ours is up at 60%. There's is down more than 40%. So that obviously is a, is a key issue because it does feel like, in lots of cases, we're legislating for that yeah, bottom end of the market, which actually could be given more targeted support through increasing LHA, local housing allowance, and more support for universal credit, welfare, other payments. So, yeah, complete, you know, that is a real frustration mm -hmm. as well that the welfare agenda. And that's part of the difficulty when we look at rent control, the government will say, but we are aware of countries in this world where it works. You know, so why do we so many different here? factors to compare exactly. markets, as you say, there's so yes. many different factors. And actually, they found that in most countries where rent caps or controls are taking place, that it has been kind of detrimental to tenants long term because it has actually forced up um, rent increases, or there's a lot of subletting issues, and then of course tenants are paying higher amounts for waiting, waiting lists. lists. For housing, yep. You know, it just mm -hmm. that has increased. So it's not to say we can't find our own solution here in Scotland, but the important thing is, and what we are saying to government is, you need to sit around the table with us. We need to give you the ideas. You need use us as a mechanism to hopefully find a solution that suits everyone. And recently, they did it with the social housing providers. They sat around the table to come up with what they hoped would be a solution when it came to rent control. They didn't even ask us for a meeting. So there was nothing similar for the PR. Well, they argue that we're not representative. The response that keeps coming back right. is that we are not... Well, it's more that we can't control people yes, the way they but... can. But, you know, <laughs> we have organisations there that are membership organisations in the same way that we are. Uh, it's maybe different for COSLA. So as a yeah. grouping of local authorities, I can understand that. And, and there's a lot fewer of them operating in the, the social rented sector than there are in the private rented sector. So it is harder to engage. But nevertheless, it's never stopped them before. No. And they've always got round the table with us before to find solutions yeah. to whatever the issue is of the day. Why can't they now? Why have they suddenly changed mm. their mind? I hope that's because of the petition. Uh, I think that's changing now, where the government is more interested to speak to us again. But we really did have radio silence from yes. September right the way through to literally last week. Yeah, and I just think, as you say, we're you know membership bodies. Um, I think if you looked at market share in terms of the landlord register in Scotland, the letting agent register, I think it'd be easier to work out than other parts of the UK who we represent and, and speak so, well, for because of that so. regulation you've got. And we've, you know, we've got Absolutely. in Scotland. 60% of registered land letting agents in Scotland are members. So, uh, so both of us as organisations are representing the majority of the PRS yes. in Scotland. Uh, but it's not just that, it's that obviously if we're out there speaking to landlords and agents, we can influence their agenda. They can talk to us and they can say, listen, this is what's happening on the ground 
feed us back. Well, we pushed them on the call for evidence. We said in those informal meetings, we said, right, when's the three-month date? We can provide the data. We want to know, will it go into Parliament? What's, you know, how will it be announced? And we really pushed them on that. And, and said, we did do that. Yeah. You know, when we, as organisations, we contributed to that report that's been recently published. And actually, it was recognised by the officials in the Scottish Government that our data did contribute quite heavily towards changing that yeah. rent cap or, or raising it from zero up to 3%. So so that's welcome that they're prepared to listen, but it's just, as far as we're concerned, it doesn't go far enough. Well, yeah. extraordinary times call for <laughs> extraordinary measures. So your organisations, both SAL and Property Mark Plus, Scottish Land and Estates, SLE, have formed a coalition in response to this legislation and you've lodged a petition to the Court of Session in Edinburgh recently um, seeking a judicial review. So tell me the main highlights of the petition. Well, I think mainly it's quite a long petition, uh, so there's, there's quite a lot of detail in that and that allows scope for discussion and debate within uh, the court and for various pieces of evidence to be provided. But the main thing is we're saying that this is a breach of our human rights as landlords, effectively. Landlords under ECHR rules, and that's a convention of human rights in Europe, uh, has a, have a right to property So and how we use that property. And we believe that this contravenes those rights and that the government really needs to take cognizance of that. Now, they believe that they have, and they, mm. they openly say that they believe this legislation is proportionate. Obviously, our whole position here is that we disagree with that. And largely because, and what we put in the petition, is that it doesn't draw a distinction between yeah. the different financial circumstances of landlords and tenants. Mm -hmm. And that's what it should be looking mm -hmm. at. It should be more nuanced than that, providing the supports yeah. where we're needed to both landlords and to tenants, and it fails to do that. And I think the fact that it's further differentiated between the social rented sector and the private rented sector, and when we question them on that, they say, oh, well, that's because social landlords need the rent to do repairs and invest in the property. So and we go, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, private landlords need the rent for exactly the same Absolutely. reason. In fact, our finance costs are higher yeah. And our repair costs tend to be higher because social landlords have access to cheaper borrowing and they tend, say, yeah. tend to have their in-house maintenance schemes where we're at the variance of the open market for plumbers and joiners, etc. So arguably our costs could well be yeah. higher. So where's the justification for that? So, so this petition in its entirety uh, is intended to, to tease out some of these issues and, and hopefully through that. Remember, it's not just about the court case. I don't think any of us want to be running to, to court. Uh, we do want to continue dialogue with the government and hopefully find a solution. So what's then, what's the next stages of the petition procedure in the court of session? Well, as I understand it, the petition's been lodged and then it gets served, which I believe has happened um, this week. Then there's a period of roughly, I think, 28 days where the Scottish Government can lodge a response, an answer, as it were, and then it will be decided whether there's permission to proceed from the court, which I think is another 14 uh, days. If that, you know, comes through, then I think um, 
Yeah, that may require an oral hearing, I think, as I understand yeah, it. Yeah, the, the, there would be the initial hearing as well, which would be within six weeks, and then permission a, a granted. Yeah. another 12 weeks hearing, before yeah. a substantive hearing. So it's a long process, so we are talking a good few months now to really go through this entire process. But the stage we're in at the moment is we laid the petition last Friday, and uh, from our discussions with the government, I think it's yet to come from the court to the government, but they're yeah. aware it's been laid. And but that's for and we gave them, them we gave them heads up. That that's what we were going to do. We did the week before that. Did. We had a meeting with them, and we shared a copy of the draft petition at that time to tell them this was our intention. That was on the Monday, and we had a meeting on an emergency meeting with the officials on the Tuesday, where we discussed some of the issues within the petition. And there was the announcement in Parliament on Thursday to say that actually the rent cap would be raised from 0% to 3%. And however, we felt that still wasn't enough. And on Friday morning, we launched uh, the petition in court. So yes, as Timothy says, the government has now got the opportunity to come back. They could object to the, the application. So I'll be interested to see what the responses are and how the court decides to take this forward. I think, yeah, from Property Mark's point of view, I think all the organisations, you know, it's not certainly not something we've all um, taken lightly, no. but there's certainly been you know, very positive feedback from, from our member agents that we're taking a stand, we're working together with um, other organisations in the sector, you know, there's a collective sort of uh, buy-in there. But I think fundamentally, you know, we haven't had that consultation, no official task and finish group, that certainly fueled our um, motivation, but ultimately it impacts what our, all of our members can do, um, and enough's enough. You know, I think we've we've had to to make that that stand. But fundamentally, yeah, it applies irrespective of the financial position of tenants and landlords, and makes no distinction or profiling of the landlords either, yeah. be that small or mm -hmm. large scale. So, um, you know, there I think the two motivating factors um, that, that, that have fueled it, you know, okay. on top of what you know, John was saying. So, and, and at the moment, what other industry issues are your organisations pressing for? Well, I was just because you were, John, you were talking about costs and, uh, you know, I think um, energy efficiency, you know, is the ticking time bomb as well within mm -hmm. the sector. It's, it's obviously more cost for landlords to exactly. ensure. And that has been referred to by Patrick Harvey. It's obviously in this minister's title uh, to, to cover that. And he references those costs for the social providers without actually acknowledging that the private sector will have to foot that as well. And, you know, without looking at the figures, I'm sure the social sector providers have had access to more funding to do that over the years. Um, than, than, than landlords in the private rent sector. So certainly energy efficiency is on our radar, not just in Scotland. We know um, there will be a consultation on it, I think, in the next few months from what civil servants have, have said. It's outlined in the, uh, the, the heat strategy. Um, so we know where we're heading, but fundamentally, you know, we're gonna need a mix of loans, grants, and help with you know survey costs in order to yeah. incentivise, and it's not just um, landlords, of course, homeowners as well will mm -hmm. fall into it. So I think that's certainly what we're pushing for. And after the programme for government, we've we've questioned, we've we've written to Patrick Harvey to for clarity on some of that funding and what more funding will come 
to the private rent sector. So we look forward to that um, response. But I think tax as well and supply <coughs> pushing for a review. Yeah. And, um, and obviously, you know, I did an idea of a reversal of these, the additional dwelling supplements to support um, you know, supply going forward and the welfare changes as well. Big issues that we hear, you know, across across the UK from members. So there's certainly three of the things on top of this that are on our radar. Yeah, you know, like interesting challenge. In terms, what about yourself? Fairly similar, certainly. Energy efficiency is obviously a, a big issue. We had a, a meeting a couple of days ago with the government, and we raised that issue again. That mm. there's a great deal of uncertainty amongst landlords and agents about what do we do when, because there's no legislation published as to what the new rules will be uh, and what we need to be thinking about from now until whatever the date is that this is going to be implemented. So as Timothy says, we're aware that this is going to be on the agenda this year. So the government's about to produce uh, another consultation on that, how far that will go with regards to the yeah. PRS, we don't know. But this is very much in the fore of their thinking as well too. But that's a big issue that we are hearing from, from members. We've got housing to 2040, which is a wider document looking at how housing as a whole will develop and the creation of a one housing system, common housing standards across the entire housing sector. So that's a big issue for us to focus on that. And of course, the private rented sector strategy, we should have had that <laughs> published right about Christmas time, the end of last year, as they said. Uh, that's been delayed now, so we still don't know when that's going to happen. But that will give us the bare bones of future pieces of legislation, of which one is the New Housing Act, which will come in yeah. this year. We know rent control is going to be a main thing there, but what other things are going to be in it as well? So we're working, and where we are with the government now is that we're going to have more regular meetings with them. We've had two since we shared the petition with them. Uh, where we'll be able to sit down and tease out some of these issues that we will need to be focusing on for the new bill, which will be the next thing, but within the wider context of the 2040 strategy. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Interesting times for the market. Well, listen, thank you so much. It's been great to, to speak with you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Gillian Semler. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe to the Let's Talk channel on all the usual platforms, including Spotify, iTunes and SoundCloud, as well as on citylets.co.uk forward slash podcasts. And also let your friends know where to find us. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show providing insight into the world of property letting. More information on today's show can always be found on our show notes along with this podcast. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's talk at citylets.co.uk. Thank you.